Good morning. My name is Rich Joy. I am serving as interim pastor here at Calvary. It's good to be with you again today to be in the house of the Lord. It's always a blessing. Uh, we are in the book of Colossians, and we're winding down toward the end. We're in the fourth chapter of this four-chapter book. We're going to look at one verse today in Colossians, Colossians 4.2. It's going to tell us three things. We're just going to get three things out of this one verse today. And I want to give you a heads up ahead of time. The first one's going to sting. The second one is going to be sobering. And the third one is going to be sensible. So we'll, we'll end on an easier note than we're starting on. Um, so just, telling, just remember, I warned you, this first one's going to sting. Colossians 4.2 reads like this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Those are our three things. Devote yourself to prayer, be watchful, be thankful. And the reason that this stung me is one word. When I read this, this one word just really hit right here, devote. This verse says that I should devote myself to prayer. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I pray. I pray every day. My wife and I start every day together by praying together. And then we each go off to our own um, places in the, in the house, and we have time of prayer ourselves. And then we go through our day. And I pray during my day. Sometimes something comes up, and I feel like I really need to pray. But often it's just like a kind of a conversation with God here and there through my day. But I don't know if I would really honestly characterize my life as devoted to prayer. Devote is a really strong word. If I think of what I really am devoted to, I'm devoted to my wife. I'm completely committed to her. She's everything. I can't even think about going through this life without her. I don't know what that would be like. I'm completely devoted, committed by her side to my wife, my family. Some of us might be committed to a job, committed here to church, devoted to Jesus. Uh, this word devoted is very, very powerful. So I want you to think about your prayer life, when you pray, how much you pray, uh, what prayer is like for you. Would you characterize your life as devoted to prayer? I don't know if I could. Um, this word devoted is really interesting, too, because it's the same word that's used in Mark 3, 9, when Jesus describes the boat he's asking for from his disciples. And that's not going to make any sense to you until I explain some context. So Mark 3, 9 says, um, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him uh, to, uh, to keep the people from crowding him. Now, what's going on here is Jesus is teaching by the shore, and the crowds are gathering, the crowds are gathering, and he's getting backed up to the water. There's nowhere for him to go to keep enough space between he and the people so that everyone could hear him. So he says to his disciples, get a boat ready in case I have to step into it and get out a little bit from shore so the people can still hear me. This word devoted that's used in Colossians 4.2 that says be devoted to prayer is the same Greek word that's used to describe what Jesus wants from this boat. It's almost like he says, devote me a boat. Give me a devoted boat. What does that mean? He wanted that boat right there at the ready constantly in case he needed to step into it. He didn't want to have to go looking for a boat. He didn't want to call out while he was wading into the water ankle deep. Hey, is there a boat around here somewhere? He wanted a devoted boat. 
That's the same word Paul chose to use when he wrote to the Colossians when he said, be devoted to prayer. So what does that say to us? It says, prayer for me, to be devoted to prayer, it's always got to be at the ready. Always got to be right there. I can't let my prayer life become, hey, I'm, I'm stepping into the water here. I need some prayer. Hey, God, you hear me? I'm stepping into the water here. Paul says, be devoted to prayer. Keep that boat right there. Keep that prayer right there, always ready to go. And the great thing about that is with Jesus in the boat and me in prayer, it's actually him who's always right there ready to go. It's him who's always right there ready to hear and answer my prayer and waiting. My level of devotion should be the same, and it's not always. Here's the part that's going to sting a little bit more. Sometimes in my role as pastor here, I've got to speak the truth whether it's pleasant or not, whether it's easy or hard. It's really great to tell fun stories from up here, and we all enjoy it and we learn something. And I'm going to follow up in a little while with a fun story so we can all breathe. But right now, here's the truth. I don't know if I would characterize us here at Calvary Church as being devoted to prayer. We pray. I, I pray here. There's prayer that goes on before service at the round room down at the corner. We pray during staff meetings. We pray before meetings. We pray after meetings. I've prayed with the elders. We say prayers here on Sunday morning during service. Prayer happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I don't know if I'd characterize us as devoted to prayer. Sometimes it feels a little bit more like we tack a prayer on at the end, or we say a prayer at the beginning because it's what we're supposed to do, or we pray because it's what we're supposed to do, and we know we're supposed to be praying. But devoted? I wonder. I wonder if I would characterize us as a community, as people who are devoted, committed, always at the ready. The boat, prayer boat is right there, and we've always got one foot stepping into it, that we're going first with prayer and second with everything else. So I'm going to put out a call to all of us, starting with me. I owned it first. I owned it first and said, I'm not sure I could honestly characterize my life today as being devoted to prayer. I pray. And here at Calvary, we pray. So I'm going to put this out there. First, elders, leaders, ministry leaders, staff people. This passage calls us to prayer. Community, Calvary, here in the seats, at home, congregants, this passage calls us to pray. And when I read that word devoted, my radar comes up a little bit. My concern meter comes up a little bit. Here's why. We're in a place as a community on the journey God has us on. We should be soaking this in prayer. The first thing we should be doing is praying. Pray first, make our plans next. Sometimes we get that reversed. We strategize, we brainstorm, we get plans on paper. We take steps forward. We get, we get plans in place and strategies. And then we pray and ask God to bless them. Or we pray first and then we spend all our time creating all of our plans and strategies. And we think about all the things we have to do, and not that those things aren't important. But this passage says, pray first. This passage says, be devoted to prayer. This passage says, get in that prayer boat. If you don't do anything else, pray, 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 pray. And so Calvary Church, I'm calling us all to pray. To pray about what God has in store for us next as a community. 
that God is calling a lead pastor to come here and, and be the senior pastor of this church. We don't know who that is. We've got a process in place, and that process is moving along, but it ought to be soaked in prayer. If we're not devoted to prayer, here's the message we're really giving God. Our plans are better than you. Our brainstorming is better than what you might say. Our strategies are better. We don't really believe that. How many people really in this room believe our plans are better than God's plans? We don't, right? Oh, did I see a hand there? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or our strategies. Everybody in this room, if I were to, I'm actually going to ask for a vote. If you think prayer is more important, getting God's mind and God's heart and his leading is more important than any plan we can put together, raise your hand. We all buy that. Look around the room. We all buy that, right? But are we doing it? So I'm going to call us to prayer. There are a few places where you can pray right now. Well, you can pray everywhere. You can pray in your seat right now. I want to make a commitment personally right here to try to do more praying up here on the platform on Sunday mornings when we're together, to do more praying right from here. I want to make that commitment. I'll take responsibility for it. But you can find places to pray. Every Sunday morning before church, you can go down to the round room. That's the room at the corner at the end of this hallway. There are people who gather there to pray. Pray together. Next Wednesday night, before, the night before Thanksgiving, this Wednesday night. <laughs> Do you realize this Thursday is Thanksgiving already? <laughs> this Wednesday night, Thanksgiving Eve, there's a prayer time here. You could come here and pray. Pray for the church. Pray for the future. Pray that God's hand is moving. Pray for our minds and hearts to be open. Pray for his protection against attack. There are all kinds of things we can and should be praying together as a church. And then uh, staff and elders have decided going forward, we're going to drop another regular place for prayer in on Thursday nights, the Thursday after Thanksgiving, not Thanksgiving Day, the next week, I think the date is the 30th, at 7.15, we're going to gather here for an hour of prayer every week, just so that we can soak this community in prayer and seek God and say to him, God, we seek you first before we seek our own wisdom. That's the point of all that. If you missed any of those things I said, they're printed right in the bulletin, and you can find them. Um, I actually want to just stop right now and pray. I want to lead a prayer for all of us. And the first part of that's going to be, God, I'm sorry I haven't prayed more here. But I'm going to leave a little bit of space for you to pray. So do that right now. Close your eyes. This is just you personally, you and Jesus. And you have a brief, honest conversation with God about prayer. And it might, it might sound something like this. God, what Rich is saying is right. I, I pray a little bit, but I don't know if I'm devoted to prayer. I don't know if I'm really putting you first. Maybe I put my own ideas first. Pray something with, uh, to him that's honestly where you are. Or God, I pray. You know I pray. Hear my prayer. And then after a moment, I'll, I'll wrap us up. Father God, a, a big silence in a big room like this with a lot of people can be really uncomfortable. But I know that's when you move the most. So help us to listen. In this silence, help us to hear your voice.
Father God, the truth is too often we spend a lot of time in plans and strategies and preparations and thinking and brainstorming and, and pushing forward and not a lot of time in seeking you. Uh, so I confess that, Lord, uh, as pastor here in this position, uh, to lead this congregation to say, I haven't prayed that way. And forgive me, Lord, for not leading well in prayer here and for not pointing more and more to you and turning our hearts more and more to you. God, your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we want you to be the one to unfold our path. We want you to be the one to show us how to move forward. And yes, you've given us brains to think and plan and strategize, but we don't want to do that first. We want to do that second and put seeking you first, Lord. So hear our prayer on this. We're trying to move in that direction. We're trying to put you first and pray to you first. And we're sorry for any time or place where we put our own ideas ahead of seeking you. Help us to be characterized here at Calvary Church as people who are devoted to prayer, who count on you first, Jesus, and our own knowledge and wisdom second, that we would trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you and trust you to make our path straight. Lead us, Jesus. You said you'd build the church. Lead us to be your people who love you and honor you. In your name, amen. Now, that was the sting. Everybody take a deep breath. Sometimes we have to face truth and move forward with it. And we're going to move forward being more of people of prayer as we make our plans and as we strategize and as we put things into place. You with me on that? Raise your hand if you are. There we go. Okay, thanks. I know you were nodding your heads, but I can't see that far. So, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's look back at this, this verse. Uh, Colossians 4.2 said, Be devoted to prayer, be watchful, and be thankful. So what does it mean to be watchful? What do you watch for? What do you watch for in your life if you're going to be a watchful Christian? The Bible says things like, guard your heart and your mind. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of your life. Guard your mind for things that come in. Philippians says, whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think about those things. That's how I guard my mind. I protect my mind from the junk that the world wants to put into it, from the clutter that I let come in, from the distractions that come in through my mind, uh, my eyes, and filter around in my brain and then grow roots down into my heart. I've got to be watchful against things that push me away from God that start to erode my soul, things that twist my thinking a little bit. We've got to be on guard for those things. This um, a passage you may be familiar to do, 1 Peter 5.8. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion to look for someone to devour. So we have to be watchful against the attacks of Satan this passage says he prowls around like a roaring lion. The concept of being watchful is a little different in Jesus' day than it is in ours today. In Jesus' day and back into the Old Testament times, they didn't have satellites and drones and radar so that they could see an enemy coming from really far off. How did they detect if an enemy was approaching before it was too late 
before the enemy was at the gate. They got a guy who had good eyesight and who was able to pay attention and stay awake through the night, and they put him up in a high tower, and they said, watch, look as far as you can, and if you see an enemy coming, you sound the alarm. That's the idea of being watchful. It's being intentional and watching for the enemy before he gets too close, before you realize he has snuck up on me and attacked me and I never saw it coming, because Satan will do that. This passage I just read to you says, Satan prowls around like a hungry lion waiting to attack and devour. I actually had an interesting opportunity to see that out in the wild. Uh, Years ago, Heidi and I were on a mission trip to Nairobi, Kenya, And we finished the work that we were there doing with an extra day. We had an extra day, and we had the opportunity to go on safari. So one of the local ministers, part of the organization we were working with, arranged for us to have a driver who was a local, lived there all of his life, and a Land Rover with an open top. And Heidi and I and a couple of other people went on safari in the safari area. We were driving around in a Land Rover for four hours and hardly covered the safari area. We were driving around in the natural habitat of the animals. It was an amazing, wonderful experience. Have you ever seen a giraffe run? Usually you go to the zoo and they they put a giraffe in something like this big and they can't run. But out in in the wild, out in the safari area where there's acres and acres and acres and acres, we got to see giraffe run. Now you might think with their long legs and their neck they'd be all gangly and uncoordinated. Not at all. Giraffes are beautiful when they run. They're so graceful. And they just, their legs just gallop and they float. And they come up on you before you even know they're there. We were sitting at the, in the open top of this Land Rover and we looked around and there was a giraffe right there. And we just said hi and went on our way. But here's, this is the part I want to share with you. We were five to ten minutes in to the safari area, on a dirt path that was supposed to be a road, uh, driving in, we're sitting on the top of the Land Rover, so excited about this experience we're going to have, and the driver stops the Land Rover right where he is, and he says, look over there, there's a lion. If this were the Land Rover where I'm standing, the lion was right there at the top of the stairs. That's how close we were. And I would have missed him. He was crouched down in the grass, The grass was the same color as his fur. I would never have seen him, but the driver's eyes were trained. And he stopped and he said, look, there's a lion. He's hunting. He was just sitting there as far as I knew. And he was staring. But he wasn't looking at us. It's a good thing because this would have been a short distance to cover if he wanted humans for dinner. He was looking past us out into a field over there at a herd of water buffalo. We sat there for about 15 minutes. That lion never moved. It didn't blink. We finally got tired of sitting there, and we drove off on the safari. Four hours. Four hours we drove around. We were coming back. It was almost dusk now, and we're coming out the same road we came in on. And the driver stops again, and he said, look, he's still there. Four hours later, that lion was still right where he was before. You would think he was a stuffed animal. He hadn't even moved. He hadn't moved. He was in the exact same position for four hours, still watching that herd of water buffalo. And we sat there for another 15 minutes or so, wondering if something was going to happen, and then something did. One of the water buffalo in that herd wandered away, all by itself. And the lion popped up, 
while we were sitting in the Land Rover right here. He popped up, and he walked right in front of us. Two other lions popped up for somewhere else out in the bush, and the three of them converged on this one water buffalo, and they attacked it. They were trying to take it down. He was using his horns, flipping them around. There was this big fight. We were watching the whole thing. And then the rest of the herd noticed it was going on. They came galloping over, and they actually rescued that water buffalo. And we said to the driver, what happened? He said, the two lions that were out there in the field were young. They were in training. If those were adult lions, that buffalo wouldn't have stood a chance. It would have been devoured out there. So we watched a little longer. The lion ran away. The buffalo went back, and we pulled out. I learned a really valuable lesson that day about how Satan works. This passage in 1 Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. And I pictured a lion like you see on TV and, you know, in uh, Disney movies, how they're, you know, they prowl around and they growl and they're ready to pounce on you. I never thought about a lion that's willing to sit in the grass for four hours and not blink till he had his opportunity. So what does that say to us? It says, Satan is watchful. He's patient. He's willing to wait until you make yourself vulnerable, and then he'll, he'll attack you. Who did that lion attack? The water buffalo that wandered out by itself. The one that strayed away from the pack. That lion wasn't going to attack that whole herd. It was too smart for that. It was going to wait for one to wander away, and as soon as it did, he didn't waste a second. He and two other lions went right at it. Satan does the same thing. He'll watch and watch and watch till you let yourself be vulnerable. And then he'll pounce on you. How do you get vulnerable? Well, there are a lot of ways we can do it. One of them is wander off on your own. You get off on your own, you're in a vulnerable spot. We were not meant to live this Christian life alone. I was not meant to walk this life alone. I was meant to do it with you. And you're meant to do it with me. So that when we stay together, we help each other. We help each other walk this life. We protect each other. You watch my back. I watch yours. Satan's less likely to attack you as an individual when you're with the group of Christians. When is he going to attack? When you wander out on your own. So if I'm describing you, be on guard, be on watch. If you're someone who's out on your own, if you're just home doing your Christian thing from home, um, again, this might sting a little bit. I guess we're back to the sting again. If you're at home living Christianity by yourself, you're making yourself vulnerable. You need to be here. You need to be here. We need to be together, to be watchful together. If you're off on your own and not being part of the fellowship, you're in a dangerous place. If you're putting yourself in vulnerable places, if you're going where, to places where you're tempted, if you're, if you're involving yourself in things that do not honor God, it's like moving away from the pack. And you're placing yourself in a vulnerable spot to be attacked. And Satan is willing, just like that lion, to sit right there and not move a muscle for four hours. And as soon as you make yourself vulnerable, here he comes. So we need each other. We need each other to be watchful and to watch for these big things that Satan might attack us on. We also have to watch for small things. I saw this in the Old Testament book, Song of Solomon. Are you familiar with the Song of Solomon? It's the book you read and you get embarrassed while you're reading it. It's all love language between the man and the woman, the king and his bride-to-be. And it's, it's wonderful, romantic language. And there's a bigger picture that it paints. It's how God loves us. 
Heidi and I have been reading through the Old Testament. We, we were trying to figure out when we started. We read one chapter a day. Had to be over a year ago. Um, here's what we do. In the morning, we get up, we make our coffee, we sit down in two of our wing chairs, we open our Bible, and wherever we are, we started in Genesis 1, then 2, then 3, we open the Bible, she reads the passage, and then I pray. The next day, I read the next passage, and she prays. That We do that. It takes us 15 minutes. We do that together every morning. Guess where we are right now? Song of Solomon. Uh, we're doing it a little differently. I might embarrass myself here. Um, and I would say I'd embarrass Heidi, but she's not here. <laughs> she's actually helping lead worship at uh, Trinity Baptist Church in Fairfield today. But she'll be back here next week. Anyway, getting off the subject. Um, we decided to read Song of Solomon a little differently. Instead of she reads a chapter and I pray, and I read a chapter and she prays, she's reading the woman's part, and I'm reading the man part, and we're reading it to each other. It's wonderfully embarrassing, the two of us, <laughs> sitting in the privacy of our living room, reading the scripture to each other. But we came across this one. Um, it's Song of Solomon 2, 14 and 15. Uh, it's actually 15 I wanted to show you, but I, I put 14 in so you could get a little flavor of the romantic wording here. This is the king. This is Solomon now speaking, writing, write, uh, speaking and writing to his bride-to-be. My dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And then um, he says this, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, are vineyards that are in bloom. He was a king, and he had vineyards. Now, I would imagine a king's vineyard is not a little garden. It's not a little plot that would fit on this stage. We're talking about a big vineyard. This is the king. And to protect his vineyard, he built stone walls around it, and then he would post guards there to keep um, uh, thieves out who would just break in and steal his grapes. So he's got guards. He's got workers in the garden. He's keeping an eye out intentionally for all the big attacks that might come. If an enemy force comes to try to take over his vineyard, he's got a, a force to push back with. If a thief tries to sneak in, he's got an armed guard who's going to keep that thief out. He's doing a really good job of keeping all of the big threats away from his vineyard. But he says this, let's catch the little foxes. Let's watch out for the little foxes. These are the little foxes that can sneak in between the cracks in the stone wall, who can hop over the stone wall and not be seen. They come in and steal a few grapes and run out. What's the big deal? A few grapes. Fox sees a few grapes, this vineyard's huge. But if a fox comes every night and steals grapes, it's going to start to have a cumulative effect. Or if the fox brings his friends and a bunch of foxes, is it foxes or foxes? A bunch of foxes come in <laughs> and steal grapes, now you're losing a lot more. So those little threats become a problem if you don't deal with them. This is a great relational principle. In, in this context, um, I have used this in marriage counseling with husbands and wives, men and women, because it talks about looking for those little things that could almost go unnoticed, but come in and snatch away a grape here and a grape there and a grape, and before you know it, real damage has been done. You know how that works in a relationship, right? The little things. Here's how it works in a relationship with me and Jesus. I don't really get angry like angry outbursts. I don't blow up. I came from a household where people blew up. And anger was, actually, anger was the only acceptable emotion in my household growing up. Um, but I've, I've got some counseling, I've grown, I've healed through some of that. I, I don't really blow up. I don't have temper tantrums. I don't deal with anger issues, big things. But I do get irritated. I do sometimes get a little ticky inside of me. 
And if I let that sit there, that's like a little grape or two, right? That's not snatching the whole vineyard. That's just a little grape or two. And if I don't deal with that, and then I get a little ticky again, now there are a few more grapes. And if I'm not watching those little foxes, it can affect my heart. Here's another way I do it. I don't really consider myself a prideful person. I don't go around boasting and bragging, um, you know, trying to elevate myself and say how great I am generally. But I can let a prideful thought take root in my mind. I can, between me and another person, go, huh, at least I'm better than him. Just a little grape. I never verbalized it. I just thought it, and I let it sit in my mind a little longer. Fox just grabbed a grape, another grape. Truth, I consider myself a pretty honest person. I don't go around lying and telling lies and manipulating. I don't promote untruths. But I know I have bent the truth once in a while to suit my needs. I know I have withheld from speaking truth because it would suit my needs. Just a little grape. Just a little grape. Just a little grape. You do that. You know what I'm talking about, these little grapes? Let me take a minute and think about it. I've given you a couple examples from my life. Are you guarding your vineyard, which represents your spiritual life, your heart, your character, your mind? You're guarding against the big threats. How about the little ones? You got any little foxes sneaking in and trying to grab a grape here or there? Catch those, Song of Solomon says. Catch those foxes and don't let them steal your grapes. All right, so we had the sting, we had the sobering part, keep watchful. Um, now we've got the sensible part. We're heading into Thanksgiving. This is a great time to look at this verse. Colossians 4.2 says, be devoted to prayer, be watchful, and be thankful. So let's talk about being thankful a little bit. If you do a search in the Bible for gratitude or thankfulness, you're going to find a, you find a lot of references to gratitude, that we should be grateful people. But you're going to find a lot more references to this phrase, give thanks, the giving of thanks. I learned in a story that a pastor told from the Bible many years ago, there's a really big difference between being thankful and giving thanks, feeling grateful and saying thank you. And it was from the story of the 10 lepers. How many of you know the story of the 10 lepers? I'm going to tell it again anyway, uh, just kind of briefly. Jesus was teaching, and while he was teaching, 10 men with a skin disease named as leprosy in the New Testament came to Jesus, and they wanted to be healed. This was a devastating disease at the time. If you had a skin disease like leprosy in Jesus' day, you were an outcast because everyone was afraid of leprosy. If you got too close to someone with leprosy, if you touched them, which you were not allowed to do, if you touched them, you might get it, and then you would become a leper, and you'd have a skin disease all over. Leprosy meant you had to stand over there when everybody was over here. You couldn't come near people. You weren't allowed in the town. You weren't allowed in the community. You weren't allowed anywhere near the temple. And forget getting near God because he doesn't want you with your skin disease. That's how it felt to be a leper in Jesus' day. These 10 lepers, who were way off by the side of the road, heard Jesus teaching. And they said, hey, hey, how about us? Can you heal us? They shouldn't have even been talking to Jesus. But they got bold and crazy. They had heard Jesus had done some healing, and they thought, maybe us too. Maybe. So they called out to Jesus. 
And Jesus said, what do you want? We want our skin healed. And he said, go show yourself to the priests. He didn't heal them. They didn't get any better right there. He just said, go show yourself to the priests. So with a little bit of faith and a lot of hope, they started to go find a priest to show themselves to. Along the way, Bible doesn't say how long, but along the way, after they were out of sight of Jesus and on the way to see the priest, the Spirit of God came upon them and their skin just got healed. Ten of them. Ten of them in one mass healing. Whoosh! They all went from leper skin to fully healed skin. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? To go from having a ruined life, complete outcast, everybody hates you, to now my skin is totally fine and I can be a part of my community again. I can go to temple. I can have a job. I can be seen as a human being. And I don't have all this pain. I'm not dying from it anymore. Do you think those 10 men felt grateful? They'd be crazy if they didn't, right? They had to be overwhelmed with gratitude and joyous feelings. Nine of them went charging to the priest because, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I always tell people, don't sit in the front row. That's the, <laughs> that's the splash zone. Nine of them went running to the priests, probably afraid if they didn't get there soon, they might lose this healing because Jesus told them to go to the priests. They were being obedient. They were doing what Jesus told them to do. One person went back. He said, I got to find Jesus. I got to find him. I had to find him and say, thank you. He healed me. Look at this. So he came and found Jesus, and he fell at Jesus' feet. And Jesus said, weren't there 10 that got healed? Weren't there 10? How come only one came back to say thank you? And in that story, years ago as a young man, I had a light bulb go off. And I said, oh, there's a difference between feeling grateful and giving thanks. We're called way more in the Bible to give thanks than to feel grateful. So this is a great time to remember that, right? Four more days. Four more days is going to be Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, where we give thanks. So let's remember to give thanks. What does this mean for us? It means while we're sitting around with our family and friends carving into a turkey, or someone told me they have um, spring rolls, in, uh, for their Thanksgiving, whatever you're eating on Thanksgiving, whoever you're gathering with, whatever you have going on, if you start to feel grateful, I want my voice in the back of your mind saying, say so. Open up and say so. How about this Thanksgiving, you tell the people you love that you love them. How about this Thanksgiving, you actually say, thank you. Thank you for being there for me. Thank you for cooking this meal. Thank you for letting me join your family at Thanksgiving. Thank you that you're still going to be here tomorrow after the meal's over. Thank you that you're part of my life. Thank you for loving me. There are so many things we can say thank you for. Have you ever made a thank you list? It's been a while since I've done it. You sit down with a piece of paper and a pen, and you just start writing the things you're grateful for, because that's actually an expression, right? That's a giving of thanks to, to write it down. Here's what I found every time I've done that. My list is way longer than I think it's going to be when I start. Because you get going, and you start thanking God for things in your life, and you realize there are more, and then there are more, and then there are more. You might say, I don't have that much to be thankful for. My life's a mess. Sit down with a piece of paper and just start writing some of the things you're thankful for, and you will surprise yourself how long that list gets and how many things you can thank God for. 
So it's about saying thank you. One of the ways we can say thank you is by giving through generosity. I can show my appreciation for everything God has given me by taking some of it and giving it to someone else. That's a way to say thank you, which we've done today. You may have noticed as you walked in the hallway today that there were bag, grocery bags lining the hallway. You may even brought one of those in and put that over there. What is that? That's us saying thank you. It's not saying, hey, look at me, how great I am. I brought a bag in because nobody knows who put any of those bags there. They're just there. But that's about many of us saying, God has given me a lot, a lot. And it's almost nothing for me to share this bag of groceries with someone who doesn't have much. But it's a way of saying thank you, isn't it? Thank you, God, for everything you've given me. Bless someone else with some. I have a really good friend. His name is Dr. Mike Gillern. He's my friend and my counselor. Actually saved my life in the counseling room 35 years ago. Um, He says this. I think it's brilliant. He says, anxiety and gratitude cannot sit on the same stool. That if I start to remember what I'm thankful for, and I start saying thank you, it kicks anxiety off the stool. Isn't that interesting? And it's true. It's true. That the more I remember how good God has been to me, the more I thank him for all I have, the less room is in there for anxiety and worry. It kicks it right off the stool. Thanksgiving and anxiety cannot sit on the same stool. So here, let me just show it to you again while I call the worship team back up here. I know you guys are around. Come on back up. Here it is, Colossians 4.2. There we go. And I want you to think about the three parts of this. I said the first one could sting, the second one would be sobering, and the third one would be sensible because it's Thanksgiving. Uh, Which one hits you? I know my God. I know how the Holy Spirit works. And I'm very confident that at least one of these three is niggling in your mind. One of these three is tugging at your heart. One of these three is making you think. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? I really want to remember to say thank you this Thanksgiving. I'm going to go home and write a note to someone telling them how much I appreciate them. Or I'm going to remember to say thank you when I'm gathered around with my friends or family this week. Maybe it's, um, I really have to watch my life. I got to get in a group. I got to get in a community group. Or I've got to start going to adult Bible study after service. Or I've got to come to the room and sit in one of these chairs with other Christians because I'm out there on my own. And the Bible says that's a dangerous place. Or i got to stop going to this place and stop putting myself in these vulnerable situations because that line's going to jump me. Maybe that's what hit you. Or maybe it's the prayer one, which is really where it all starts. Maybe you're just thinking, yeah, really, what does prayer mean to me? How devoted am I to it? Do I just tack a prayer on? Do I start something with a prayer hoping God will bless it? Or am I really devoted to prayer? I know at least one of the three is on your mind. So what I'd like you to do is just take a moment, sit before the Lord with that, and talk to him about that. And then the worship team is going to lead us in our final song called Build My Life. There are a lot of ways to build our lives in Christ, but today we saw three. Each of these three build our life in Christ. Build our life on him. Practical ways to build our life on him? Talk to him in prayer. Keep a watch out over my heart and mind and give thanks. So take a moment and pray, and then I'll have the worship team lead us through that.
Lord, I want to build my life on you. I really do. And I know sometimes I try to build it on other things. And I know it's true those will become like sinking sand, but I want to build my life on you. Help me.